episode 102, What If It's Not Burnout, on the Social Workers Rise podcast. Hello, my name is Katherine Moore, social worker, mom, coffee lover, and founder of Social Workers Rise, where we inspire social workers to connect, expand their knowledge, and change more lives than they ever thought possible. I'm so excited you found my podcast. We will talk everything social work on every level from micro to macro. We will hear the stories of social workers who are doing big things, learn new skills, and most importantly, give you actionable steps to make a difference today. Let's go. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Social Workers Rise. It is your host, Catherine here. I am really excited that it is October because October 1 is just an amazing month with fall and the weather is getting cooler. I'm in Southern California, so by the time October rolls around, I am beyond ready for fall and cooler weather. And it's not even really cold. It gets to be like 75 degrees, and I am okay with this because that is perfect weather for me. Plus, it is my birthday month. My birthday is later on this month, and I am a big believer in celebrating your birthday because it is the one day that you get to honor you and all of the greatness that you bring to this world. So if you are one of those that does not celebrate your birthdays, I don't understand it. But I would encourage you to switch that up and uh, just allow people to express gratitude to you and to yourself, most importantly, because you are an amazing individual. I don't even know you personally, but you're listening to this podcast, so I know that you are compassionate, you care about other people, you're interested in social work, you are my type of person. So celebrate your birthday, okay? (laughs) Anyways. On to the purpose of this podcast. So we hear so much about burnout and it gets kind of brain numbing, to be honest, kind of like, oh, let's just tune this out. So we're not going to talk about only burnout today, I promise, because I'm wondering what if you're feeling some type of way, but it's not burnout. What if you're experiencing something else? So in this episode, I'm going to give you an easy to understand overview into some other hazards of social work that you need to be aware of, such as compassion fatigue, moral injury. Of course, we got to talk on burnout for a minute. I won't, won't burn you out on burnout. Okay. Vicarious trauma and secondary trauma. They may contribute to burnout, but they are distinctly different. We're going to listen to this ad from our sponsor. Then we'll hop right into the episode. This episode is proudly brought to you by the RISE Directory, a national directory of clinical supervisors who are dedicated to helping the next generation of clinical social workers grow in their clinical skills. The link is in the show notes. Check it out and tell every clinical supervisor you know about this directory.
Hello, and welcome to another episode of Social Workers Rise. It is your host, Catherine here. Thank you so much for being here. Today, I wanted to explore the different areas that relate to burnout. So we hear a lot of talk about burnout. We get this, you know, ominous warning from our professors, you know, don't become burnt out. You don't want to be that social worker. But what is burnout? And how do we get there? How do we prevent burnout? And what if what we're feeling in grad school or in college or in our work and career environment, what if it's not even burnout? What if it's something completely different? First, we're going to start by defining, you know, what is burnout? So burnout is actually a medical syndrome that your doctor can diagnose you with. And it comes from feeling emotionally, physically, and mentally exhausted. And this is caused by prolonged and excessive stress. So this is why we're constantly preaching self-care on a daily basis, because if you stayed in a state of overwhelm, just feeling drained out, you're not able to meet the responsibilities of your life, such as, you know, getting your documentation done on time, showing up for your clients the best that you possibly can, showing up for yourself when you get home, showing up for your family. If you stay in that prolonged state of stress, it's going to lead to burnout for sure. And it may even land you in the hospital. And I don't want that for you, my friend. We we deserve way better. We did not go to grad school or college or any sort of school to be burnt out and to be miserable. I know that's not what I went for, and I know that that is not the life that you wanted for yourself either. So let's not get there, right? But even if you're not feeling overwhelmed or exhausted all the time, you may be feeling off. And we're going to talk about some different... Um, I don't know what to call them, terms that might give you some light into maybe how you're feeling or maybe how a coworker is feeling. And these different areas, they're all closely related and they all can result from being exposed to just stressful situations, traumatic stories, working with people who have experienced trauma. And they're all completely valid. There's no timeline on these, right? So it's important to just give light to the fact that maybe you or a colleague is experiencing this and maybe not necessarily burnout per se, but if you stay in any of these areas for too long, it definitely, definitely could contribute to your risk of developing burnout. So the first area that I want to explore with you is compassion fatigue. So this is the physical, emotional, or spiritual fatigue that takes you over and causes a reduced sense of joy or reduced sense of satisfaction in your work, and you're not able to empathize with others as you were before, right? It comes as a result of feeling overwhelmed or even preoccupied by another person's traumatic or stressful experiences. So let me give you an example. Compassion fatigue can happen when you are 
I saw this a lot in the nursing homes, right? So I would go in there as a social worker and I would see that the nurses who once were very caring, very compassionate, you know, empathized with their with their patients, now they just kind of saw them as another number and they weren't able to really make that emotional connection or empathize with the patients and they just treated them like another number and not like, you know, Mrs. Johnson, right? Not as an individual, as a mother, as a daughter, as a sister, you know, they had this emotional block because they're just trying to get through the day. They had become overwhelmed by another's or by their patient's stressful experiences to the point that they just were not able to feel the compassion in the same way as they once did. And this can happen in social work as well, where we may have to do just assessment after assessment after assessment. We hear similar stories of trauma or um, domestic violence or drug use and addiction, right? And eventually we just become kind of numb to it to where we're unable to get the energy that we need to express compassion to each and every individual person. So the next area that I want to cover is moral injury. And this is when there has been there's been harm done to our own moral compass as a result of witnessing or feeling like we are part of uh, the harm done to people or feeling like we are failing to prevent harm to other people. And this in turn, we feel like our own moral code is not being honored and we're not operating in an ethical way. So moral injury happens when we are, when we feel, for example, when we feel like we're part of the system that is perpetuating harm onto families or our clients, right? This originally became known or um, talked about a lot when veterans were coming back from war because they had to commit harm against other people and it was against their own moral code, you know, maybe to harm civilians, right? So this is when moral injury comes up when we feel like we are harming other people, when we're there to actually help people. Our intention is to help them, but because of our job or our boss or our position or instruction or the role, we feel like we're actually causing more harm than good. So that is moral injury. The other uh, thing that I wanna cover with you is vicarious trauma. Hey, it's Catherine here. I hope you are enjoying this episode. We're going to take a quick break to listen to these ads from our sponsors. If you're planning to take the BBS Law and Ethics exam, the ASWB Master's or Clinical Licensure exam, or if you're studying for the MFT exam, then you need a proven program that can help you understand the exam questions and pass with confidence. If this is you, I highly recommend the Therapist Development Center. I personally use TDC to pass my law and ethics and clinical exams and found the program provided me with everything I needed to pass with confidence. 
TDC's program integrates various ways of learning in an organized fashion containing all of the information you need to pass without the overwhelm. And now bonus, TDC is also offering a library of continuing education courses that fulfill your license renewal requirements and will support you in your career development. If this sounds like something that you need, visit their website, therapistdevelopmentcenter.com and use the code SWRISE10 at checkout to receive 10% off any of their CE courses, including their brand new course, On the Edge of Life, an Introduction to Suicidality. You can also check out the link in the show notes. Do you love horses, nature, and being outside? Do you dream of having a successful career working with horses and helping humans? Horse Therapy Center of Canada provides certification and professional training to mental health professionals like you who want to launch a business or career in equine-assisted therapy. With three different delivery methods, you can become an equine-assisted therapist in as little as four days. For Social Workers Rise podcast listeners like you, my friend, Horse Therapy Center of Canada is offering you up to $700 off of their certification and training programs. So don't wait. Start your career in equine-assisted therapy and learning today. Check the show notes for how you can get started. So vicarious trauma happens when we have an accumulation of stress. When you're empathetically engaging with others who are sharing their trauma with you. So you're listening to their story, or you could have even observed an experience, but you don't necessarily have to have experienced their trauma to have had this stress that's on you, right? So it happens when you are continually hearing stories of pain or hurt from your clients and you start to accumulate that stress within yourself. And the other part that's related to this is secondary trauma. And secondary trauma is nearly identical to post-traumatic stress disorder or PTSD. And this is when you are experiencing symptoms of PTSD due to someone else's traumatic event. So let me kind of break this down because that's a lot of words. (laughs) So if you are working in a domestic violence shelter and you are constantly hearing about other people's traumatic experiences and you're accumulating stress, like, okay, this is, you know, stressful hearing this hearing these types of stories over and over again of abuse or violence. Um, But you're, you know, that's kind of where it ends, right? So that would be the vicarious trauma if you're feeling stress from hearing their stories. The secondary trauma would be if you are starting to experience symptoms of PTSD. So maybe you're having flashbacks. Maybe you had nightmares that... Um, that was similar to a story that you heard from one of your clients, right? Maybe um, you're you're just, you know, 
getting flashbacks and to the point where you feel like you're in that story. And that would be secondary trauma. Again, you don't have to have actually been there to have experienced this. Okay. So if you're finding yourself or if you're resonating with any of these, then it really is important to seek out additional support and help. And this can come in the in lots of different forms, right? So this can come within your clinical supervision. And that would be really great because research has shown that social workers who have organizational support, such as good supervision, and they feel safe, that they're not going to be harmed at their workplace, they reduce or they they found that those social workers have a reduced stress level. So if you do have a supportive work environment, please bring this up with your clinical supervisor, with your boss, with your whoever it is that you are reporting to or that you can confide in, right? If you are still in school, then you likely have counselors there at the school. You have teachers and instructors who may also be a source of support for you. Additionally, if if that is not there for you, or even if it is, we want to bring in as many supports as possible. So next, reach out to trusted family or friends who you know that you can confide in, colleagues who may understand and may, able, may be able to support you. Even consider reaching out to your faith community or even finding a therapist that is able to really support you and guide you through these feelings because these are are real issues that can come up within the field of social work. And before we leave, I do want to also share that, you know, since 2020, since the pandemic, there has been a couple studies done and it's shown that social workers are actually reporting a higher than national average of PTSD. And so this means that there is a much greater need for us to support each other as social workers. And if you're a leader, for you to check in with your social workers, check in with your staff and see how are they doing? Are they experiencing these signs of PTSD? Do we need to do more to support our staff and their well-being for longevity, right? So it's important to um, consider this, that no one is spared from the effects of COVID-19. Uh, you know, it's it's unfortunate, but it is the truth. However, we're not going to end on a downer, but despite these high levels of secondary traumatic stress and burnout, study has also shown that social workers are also showing a really high level of compassion satisfaction, which is that they feel positive about the work that they're doing and they truly enjoy helping others. And so that is why we continue to stay in the work that we do. While it's hard, yes, it may be overwhelming at times, yes, it there's a lot of sad stories. But at the same time, I absolutely love being a social worker because there's so many great stories. There's so many special moments that I wouldn't get to experience if I weren't in this line of work. There's so many ways that we truly do help people 
through the darkest moments in their lives. And we have the goal of empowering them so that eventually, hopefully, they don't need us, that we give them the tools to be self-sufficient. We give them the tools to build their confidence that, yes, they can do this. They will be successful. They are resilient. And they are able to change. They're able to get out of this dark place and they're able to move on. And that is the part that I love is just getting that, just seeing those success stories, even if they don't verbally tell me, but just seeing those little changes makes such a huge difference. And that's why I continue to stay. So I hope this episode was helpful for you. It was short and sweet. If it was, please go ahead and tag me on Instagram. Let me know that you're listening. Um, Share it because you never know which one of your colleagues may need this. Also, if you are on LinkedIn, that is an amazing platform to network and to share this information with because if 50% of social workers are experiencing PTSD, that you can do the math. (laughs) One out of two social workers, right, have been experiencing that. So we definitely, definitely need to support our colleagues and continue to have these conversations to make sure that we're feeling validated and seen. Until next week, my friend, take care. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Social Workers Rise. If you loved it, please open up your iTunes, tap the five stars, and leave a short note on why you love listening to the Social Workers Rise podcast. Also, if you want to share it on social media, I absolutely love it. You have me fangirling all over you. Take a screenshot and share it and tag me at Social Workers Rise on Instagram and Facebook. Lastly, just want to leave a little bit of legal disclosure here that the information, opinions, and recommendations presented in the Social Workers Rise podcast are for general information only, and any reliance on the information provided in this podcast is done so at your own risk. This podcast should not be used in place of professional advice, therapy, or clinical supervision. And with that, my friends, I'll talk to you next week.